Thrive Suite Productions presents The Perception Veil. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that read, Get outdoors. The worst case scenario? A bear kills you. (laughs) That made me chuckle, but it also caused me to remember a story that was sent to me several years back about a young lady who decided a road trip some camping, and a little adventure is what she needed. Her trek to embrace the tranquility of nature, a harmonious communion with the great outdoors, and to see America spiraled into a bewildering ordeal where the boundaries between reality and the unknown blurred, leaving her to grapple with the mystery of the perception veil. Here is her story. I should be a rotting corpse now. Oh, road trips are great, aren't they? Just you and the open road with no real destination in mind, and plenty of time to get there, until it nearly turns deadly. My dog and I went on what I hoped would be an adventure of a lifetime, but it wasn't a wrong turn that nearly made this into a horror story, but rather a wrong decision that came close to me being the victim in a true crime show. If not for the saving grace of a voice that only I heard, then I may truly have been. It was May of 1988. I was 24 and had just graduated college, but had not been accepted to graduate school yet, so I had some time on my hands. I felt it would be my one and only chance to go on an adventure since... I planned on going to vet school in the near future, and I would be covered up in work. With $500 in my pocket, I put my German Shepherd, my tent, and a rifle into my pickup, and I took off for a road trip. Alaska was my desired destination, but I had no real agenda other than exploring and meeting people, seeing the world, so to speak, on a poor girl's budget. Back then, gas was pretty cheap, so I felt as long as I only ate canned peaches and beans and slept at state parks, I would have enough money to make it from New York to Alaska. My parents were nervous and did not like the idea of me out in the world all alone, but there was nothing they could do or say to stop me. I was a real tomboy growing up and hated that women seldom had the fun adventures that men had. I didn't take the most direct route either. I wanted to see a lot of the country, and I headed south to begin my journey. The first few days of the trip were fun. I was seeing all kinds of historical places and meeting great people. It was fabulous. On the third day of my trip, I was driving along the Blue Ridge Parkway somewhere near the Virginia-North Carolina state line, and I saw this weird handmade sign saying to get off the exit and see a genuine Appalachian store. I thought, cool. So I got off, and I continued to follow these crudely made signs deeper and deeper into nowhere. I felt like I was really deep into the Appalachian Mountains at this point on this dirt road. Every cell in my body was screaming for me to turn around and get back on the parkway, but I was stubborn. I had driven this far to see the store. I sure as hell wasn't turning around now. This was supposed to be an adventure. 
and if it just happened to get to be a little white-knuckle ride, then so be it. Just then, to my right, I saw an abandoned church, obviously built by hand and built with stone. I thought it looked pretty there, amongst the weeds and trees, and continued on. After another ten minutes, I arrived at the genuine Appalachian store, or at least that's what the sign said. It was a tiny wooden building and had to have been built by hand as well. There were no cars around, just trees. The hair on my arms was standing up. My dog was growling, but damn it, I drove all this way. I was going to see the inside of an authentic Appalachian store. I was letting my imagination get away from me a little. Heck, maybe they made quilts or some other traditional Appalachian trinket. I wanted to see. I got out of the truck, leaving my dog inside with the windows partly down. It was a cool breeze, no sounds. I walked across the dirt parking lot and into the store. A little bell rang as I opened up. There inside, right by the door, was a giant of a man. He had a long beard, long hair, and these really hairy arms. He was sitting at a checkerboard like he was playing by himself. He had on a pair of overalls. There was a second large man, also with long hair and a long beard, by the cash register. I thought to myself, huh. Hillbillies really do have long hair and wear overalls. Must be for the effect. This really is authentic, I thought. There were exactly three tiny aisles in the store. In the first aisle were four loaves of white bread. In the second aisle, I remember seeing canned peaches and bottles of ketchup. I decided I needed to make a purchase to be friendly, but I didn't want to appear to have money. I knew that I should have listened to my gut and, and not come into the store now, but it was too late to turn back now. The third aisle had some candy and gum, and I saw a pack of blackjack gum. I actually love blackjack gum, and you seldom see it anywhere, so I picked up a pack. It was 25 cents. I went up to the register and told the guy how happy I was to have found some blackjack gum. He took my money and smiled. I turned to leave, but as I approached the door, the man sitting at the checkerboard stood up and blocked my way. He must have been six and a half feet tall. And then the man from the register came up and stood directly behind me, pinning me between them. The man blocking the door looked down at me with cold, clear eyes and said, Well, now. What's a pretty little girl like you doing way out here all by herself? I knew I was about to be raped and murdered. That was clear. I had been a complete fool. My mind scrambled to find a way out of the situation. Maybe if I ducked and dove towards the second aisle and grabbed a can of peaches and a ketchup bottle, I could dive through the window at the back of the store and run. If I was caught, I'd smash the ketchup bottle and the can of peaches directly into the face of one of them. I figured the odds of me being murdered now was about 99%. But by God, I was going to hurt one of these guys as badly as I could. I also felt deep regret. 
I was certain my dog would be murdered right along with me and that my parents would never know what happened. I felt sad to have caused suffering to my dog and to my folks. All of this went through my mind at lightning speed, but I didn't want to show any fear. I didn't want them to know I was about to die for aisle two. So I pulled myself up straight and tall and looked the guy right in the eyes and I said, Well, sir, since you ask, and that's when I was going to die for aisle two. But instead, this voice loudly said in my ear, The Stone Church. I stopped. The men had not heard the voice. But again, I heard the stone church. So I said, the stone church. The man's face changed dramatically. And that was my cue to run with it. I explained how I had seen the stone church while driving in and then began making up an elaborate story about how my daddy, God rest his soul, had worked with stone and how that church had been beautifully constructed and how it reminded me of the work my daddy used to do and how my daddy, God rest his poor soul, would want me to shake the hand of whoever built that church. Don't ask me how I knew to say these things because I don't know. The words just flowed out of my mouth like a torrent. But when I was done, the man behind me came around to the front and they both had their mouths open. It turns out they were the ones who had built that church. They told me about building it for a preacher, and they also suggested they may have killed the preacher because he became a problem. And then they told me about their stone building skills, which they got from their daddy, who had also passed away. Then they told me about how they built the store. I asked a lot of questions and acted very interested in every detail. And finally, I shook their hands and they let me leave the store saying that I should not stop anywhere or pick up anyone in this area, as things tend to happen to strangers up here. And since we was now friends, they didn't want to see that happen. I got in my pickup truck and I drove 12 straight hours until I was very far away from that place. I was scared to death and very certain that my guardian angel had totally saved my life. It had to have been my guardian angel who inspired me to run with the stone church story. Who else could have spoken those words so loudly, so clearly into my ear? My trip continued uneventfully from that point. Well, mostly. I met some great people in Alabama and Louisiana. There was a hitchhiker I picked up in Yellowstone that tried to get a little handsy, but my dog bit him, and he got out of my truck. That dog was the best. Always had my back. I never made it to Alaska, though. My car died in Spokane, and I had to work to earn money to get back home. But there's one more part to this story that makes it a little bit stranger. A few years later, when I was in grad school, I was waiting for some classmates to arrive for a field trip, and I told this story to a professor of mine, adding what a friend had said to me that the guys probably wouldn't have harmed me and that the danger was probably all in my head. Now, it was weird that I even told him this story as it was not a story I told often except to a few of my closest friends. 
My parents didn't even know it had happened. To my surprise, his face went white. He told me he had grown up in the area I mentioned, and that luring tourists up there to murder them and sell their vehicles was a way of life. He told me he had run away from home when he was 14 years old because of it. He told me it was part of his past he never discussed and really never wanted to remember. And he seemed genuinely freaked that I had told him about it. We both dropped the discussion and never spoke of it again. But my conversation with him made me certain of the fact that indeed my guardian angel had saved my life that day. That's my true story. I did become a veterinarian and still am. I sometimes feel that I'm living on borrowed time because that day could have been my last. I still go on road trip adventures, but I use a lot more common sense now. If I get that creepy feeling about something, I do not hesitate to turn around and leave because if what I consider to be my guardian angel had not spoken to me that day and directed me to talk about the stone church, I would be a decayed corpse somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. As the tendrils of fear slowly loosened their grip, this young woman emerged from the depths of her harrowing ordeal with a newfound gratitude and an unshakable belief in the extraordinary. Surviving her nightmare seemed beyond the realms of mere chance. Instead, an invisible force guiding her through the darkest of moments. She reflected on the timely intervention and the inexplicable twist of fate that conspired to ensure her survival. In the aftermath of this mystifying experience, the young woman carried the indelible mark of resilience and an unwavering faith in the unseen, forever grateful for the ethereal guardian that had accompanied her from one side of the perception veil to the other. Hey, this is Steve White. That's the story for today. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode. It was sent to me by a real person about her real experience. So if you have a paranormal supernatural story that you'd like to share, I'd love to read it. Or in an ideal situation, for you to tell your own story. Send your story to theperceptionveil at gmail.com and I'll be in touch. Also, if you like the podcast, rate and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like to support it another way, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link in the show notes. Be well, and I will see you on the other side of the veil soon.